Hello, and welcome to Burn Your Draft, the podcast exploring the Reed senior thesis process and experience. I'm your producer, Albert Krellis, and today you'll hear host Amelie Andreas talking with Reed 22 political science grad Seamus Boyle about the Kuomintang, or KMT, an anti-communist political party in the Republic of China with a historical presence on mainland China as well as the island of Taiwan. Seamus can fill you in on the details. My name is Seamus Boyle. I'm from Taipei, Taiwan. I'm in the International Comparative Politics Studies Department. And the name of my thesis is The Blue Sky Falls, The White Sun Sets, A Study of the Decline of the Kuomintang. And for for context, the Kuomintang is a political party in Taiwan or the Republic of China, Mm -hmm. as it's known constitutionally. And it was in authoritarian control of the island of Taiwan from 1949 until 1987. And I'm studying how that party, which had such complete control over the island, over its money, over its culture, over the military, could have gotten to the place where it is today, where it's in debt, Mm -hmm. it's struggling to pay its loss to Taiwan's last two presidential elections by double digits. Wow. That is a very timely topic. What was it like working on something that's unfolding as we speak? It was actually really fun. So even during the thesis process, there were Mm -hmm. some things that were happening in Tony's politics that I was just putting in. I was felt like sometimes I was laying the tracks in front of the train, but it was, it was a fun Mm -hmm. experience because I would wake up sometimes to a text from my family and my family. It's like, Oh, have you seen what happened? Like see what happened with Mm. this by-election and the legislative arena is it's like, Mm -hmm. could that go in the thesis? Could this go in the thesis? So they were all very excited about helping me out. There was a recall election for Taiwan's presidential candidate in 2020, who, Mm. while he was running for president, decided not to do his job as mayor of a major city. So they recalled him and there were some four referendum elections about miscellaneous political issues Mm -hmm. that the KMT lost all four of. And so here and there, there were just individual things that I felt I could pepper in, Mm -hmm. in addition to the study of history. And then also having like a personal connection to the topic that you were working on. How did that feel? Was it hard at times or was it empowering? Yeah, that's that's a really good question because my my personal history with the topic is more than just being Taiwanese. Uh, my mother's mm-hmm. side of the family is a KMT party family. Mm-hmm. So my great great uncle was in the KMT. He was chief of the general staff of the Republic of China. So mm-hmm. he was in charge of the military of the country for 46 days before he passed away from mysterious circumstances. And so, yeah, I didn't find that out until I was already at Reed, like Mm -hmm. an adult. And it felt like this whole identity shift where I didn't really support the KMT. I never supported them. I still don't. Mm -hmm. I think they're a mess and they need to own up to a lot of stuff in their history. Mm -hmm. But with that knowledge, I felt like I had a duty to, I say in my thesis, I, I feel like I have a duty, if not to support them, to understand them. Mm. So if I feel like I can't support them, which I do feel, yeah, I, I don't think it's unreasonable for me to want to understand the party, which has made up so much of Asian history and Taiwanese history. So I feel good about the way I've approached it. In my orals, mm-hmm. some of the, the profs, or sort of mm-hmm. pointing out that I sounded a little biased towards certain figures. And I thought, yeah, you know, this is 
probably true because mm. my impressions of a number of Taiwanese political figures were formed by my parents growing up. And my mother, who supports the KMT, at least nominally, was always very disappointed in the way they've conducted themselves, particularly over the last decade. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that trickled through to me, I think. Yeah. So you obviously have this crazy personal connection to what you're writing about that you didn't even find out about until you were already at Reed. Um, but how did you get into comparative politics in general and what kind of sparked that interest for you? Yeah. So I, from a very young age, I did Model UN, mm -hmm. which was a bigger deal at my high school than I feel like it is in a lot of places. We had a very well-developed program. We would send kids on travel teams all over the world. So I was very lucky to, to get to go to places like Singapore and Berlin and Kuala Lumpur from a young age and talk about political issues with people from all over the world with different kinds of perspectives, which really fostered my love and my skill in comparing and you know, approaching things with, from different perspectives and understanding the mm -hmm. importance and the impact of politics. So I think that's where it started. A shout out to Miss Rowe, my middle school <laughs> model UN coordinator. Yeah, I went to middle school and a little bit of high school in, in Vientiane in Laos. And we also had a little module UN program that went traveling around. So wow, yeah. yeah, shout out to all the middle Amazing. school model UN teachers out there. They don't know what they, Absolutely. the impact they I, have. I've always, <laughs> yeah, I, I've always felt that for whatever reason, overseas model UN is like this purer form. Mm -hmm. It's all about fostering cooperation and understanding and compromise. When I got to the U.S. and I started doing Model UN at Reed, mm -hmm. I was president of the Model UN Club for a year. We were going to conferences in Seattle and in Chicago, and I was just really shocked by the way Model UN is approached here, mm -hmm. where it's like, it's all about you and you're trying to win like that, that by itself was the notion of trying to win in model UN was mind blowing to me. And I think maybe it's a reflection of how the U S approaches its politics elsewhere. But, yeah. I think you can yeah. definitely see some, uh, some echoes of that in our, mm -hmm. our foreign relations policy. It's an apt observation. Um, how did Reed tie into all of these plans? Like you kind of knew what direction you wanted to go in. How did Reed become the place uh, to do that for you? I think when I was looking at colleges, I found Reed to be this perfect mix of intensity, but also low stress, if that makes any sense. I, I thought that the whole invisible grade policy meant that I could work hard, but also not worry mm -hmm. about comparing myself to other people, which was a massive improvement compared to my high school's academic culture and the financial aid mm -hmm. and the grad school matriculation stats didn't hurt either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but once I got to read, I mean, the interdisciplinary aspect of it was amazing when it came to my thesis. I can mm -hmm. say that retrospectively mm -hmm. without a doubt, like anthropology and sociology classes that I took really helped mm -hmm. enrich my study. When I studied the KMT, not through the lens of just its political actions, but the social effects that it has on people mm -hmm. and from the anthropology angle, the ethnic and linguistic divides that it had to navigate and for a large part fails to navigate. Mm -hmm. and these are all a lot of things that I don't think I could have explored in much detail without those classes. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely one thing you learn at Reed is that every subject is interdisciplinary, no matter how hard, you know, academics will try to delineate these things. Like I'm a biology major and so many of the social science or even like arts classes that I've taken can all tie into to things that I'm researching or thinking about in my my major classes. Absolutely. I I just finished writing a final for a joint art Chinese lit class. Mm. And I had to watch a couple films in that class towards the end of the year where I was like, this would have been incredible to put in my thesis at the beginning as part of like a cultural understanding of the KMT mm-hmm. because we watched two films in particular that were set in Taiwan that were not very friendly to the KMT. Mm-hmm. And I thought if I just had a little more time, this could have been an entire chapter Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who would think that an art class would make its way into a poli-sci thesis? That's really cool. What did your process look like? And did you acquire or strengthen any new skills during your thesis experience? So strangely, I started preparing for my thesis ages ago. I mean, once I got in, I was thinking about it. I was like, what am I going to do for my thesis? This is this is the one thing that, that read students <laughs> have to do. Like, I better be prepared for it. So mm-hmm. years ago, like my sophomore year, I started going around Taiwan and doing interviews with, Wow! yeah, I I was doing interviews with professors and public servants at home in Taiwan who I was fortunate enough to have access to Mm -hmm. before I, this was before I even really had a research question. Mm. So I just asked these, these people 10 or so questions about Taiwanese politics and cross-strait relations in general. I was very thankful to all of them, but I entered senior year in the thesis process with like a lot of evidence and no question. Mm. So once I figured my question out, which was basically how did the KMT go from being in control of everything to being flat broke and Mm -hmm. losing presidential elections massively, I had to go through and find five major theories of party decline for my outline. And then I tested the history of Taiwanese politics, which is what the majority of the research was against those five theories. Mm. On a working level, I said I want to average about a page a day, which is my my goal. Mm-hmm. It's weirdly almost about what ended up happening. Nice. I did the math. There, there are about 200 days from when I started writing and when I finished, and the final product is around there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time, though, that looked like not working on it for six days and then going to the library and writing seven pages on the last mm-hmm. day, which I honestly kind of enjoyed. Mm-hmm. It, it made me really feel like I was putting in the work. Yeah. Did you experience any like unexpected challenges throughout this process? There was the challenge of limiting the scope. Mm-hmm. So my my dad is a he has a master's in modern Chinese history, so he's very familiar with Taiwanese and Chinese history from like 1940 to 80, mm-hmm. and he kept telling me to like to push it back a little more. He's like, oh, just look at these events that happened a little bit before that. Maybe the decline of the party started even earlier. Mm-hmm. Than I'm. I capped it at 1987 because that was mm-hmm. when the KMT lifted their martial law rule over Taiwan and the advent of democratic society sort of opened up all these channels for dialogue and the change in the financial world that really impacted the way the KMT was able to make political gains. Mm-hmm. So I thought going any further than that would be a slippery slope. Well, he says, oh, you just like go back to 1979, look at this incident. And I was like, I have to go back to 1979. Mm-hmm. I have to go back to 77 mm-hmm. and then 49 and 45. And there's nowhere. There's yeah. Nowhere before that I can you stop. know it, you're back to like 
pre-democracy like yeah it's like here's what confucius and the jade emperor said about china yeah exactly what ended up being the outcome of your project and that can be like a personal outcome or like a big takeaway that you had something that you want to look into further yeah so i I found that the kmt's decline is pretty much exactly in line with most existing literature i for for the most part proved each of the the four theories from the existing literature that I dug up, but it also has this Mm. fifth unexpected dimension of their decline being linked in a strange way with the People's Republic of China and how the Chinese Communist Party Mm -hmm. acts, which is sort of like this toxic link where if the CCP does something beyond the pale, like in 2020, most recently Mm -hmm. when they started cracking down on human rights in Hong Kong, that completely Mm. shifted the, the balance of the 2020 presidential election. When it looked like the KMT might win it, Hong Kong happened and all of a sudden the KMT loses Mm. by 20%. And this is because the KMT has this bizarre attachment in the modern day to favoring relationships with the CCP over their own opposition party in their own country, which is something that I think they need to revise in order to reverse public opinion. How do you think that this experience will be like informing your life after read? Are you going to keep working with these same ideas or are you like, I've spent way too long thinking about this. It's time for a break. Yeah, actually I was talking to the profs on my orals board about this and they recommended that I should definitely just not let this sit in the thesis tower. I should Mm -hmm. take it and either convert it to a series of op-eds a book, which is very mm-hmm. scary, <laughs> or most appealing to me, a podcast, actually. I was thinking of going home for the summer and just chopping it up by chapter mm-hmm. and making like a mini series based on the thesis, where I would discuss it with my little brother who also has like a baseline knowledge. I thought I would do that cool podcast format of like, you know, one person has knowledge of the subject and the other one kind of doesn't. So they ask questions mm-hmm. and it's it's like that cool dynamic, like buzzfeed unsolved or something yeah i i I know being the perspective of the person who knows nothing about the topic (laughs) very well um yeah and as a podcaster person i'm contractually obligated to say that i wholeheartedly approve of that idea amazing (laughs) has it like changed your relationship with your family's history or your relationship with your country going through this thesis process that's a great question because What I did over winter when I was halfway through writing the thesis was my brother and I went to New Taipei City, which is about an hour and a half from where we live, Mm -hmm. to a very specific memorial park, which is dedicated to our great, great uncle. Wow. Yeah. It was really solemn, Mm -hmm. really heavy, but also incredibly cool. Yeah. And you know, I might not have thought that if I wasn't related to him. Mm-hmm. So his name was Admiral Guiyongqing. And so the, the park was Guiyongqing Memorial Park. And it was this like hidden little area. The entrance was through the back of a small little car park. Mm-hmm. And, but once you get inside, like it opened up in, into this like grand, I don't know, like this plaza, there was a pool of water, there were several pagodas, wow. there was a bust of him, there was a message from the, the soldiers that he trained during, I believe, the Sino-Japanese War or the Chinese Civil War, I'm not sure which one, mm-hmm. and 
his like family mausoleum, his family tombs were, were on the hill as well. So that made it really solemn for the two of us. And we just sat there. There was no one else there the entire time. Mm-hmm. Wrote down our thoughts about the party. Some of that made it into my preface. And Wow. Yeah. And in terms of changing my relationship with the country, I'm not sure. Because growing up, I also knew of a lot of people with relationships, like family relations in the KMT. And... You know, Mm -hmm. those with family members who are higher ranking than my family member, who have been much more impactful to the course of modern Taiwanese history, and a couple of whom I got to talk to. So I can't not respect Mm -hmm. those people, if that makes sense, just from a Confucian, I don't know, Asian Mm -hmm. filial piety, respect for your elders kind of thing. I can't not respect those people, Mm -hmm. but their party has not been the best to Taiwan. And in many cases, they're unwilling to recognize that, which I find mm-hmm. disappointing. But that is the way it is sometimes. And I'm not in a position to change them at their old age. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's an important skill as well to be able to like mentally hold space for complexity in that way that someone can be worthy of respect and still also be a part of something that you disagree with. Absolutely. There's one of my acquaintances from high school has a grandfather who is very well known within the party and is either loved or considered a fascist. (laughs) That's a a huge spectrum there. (laughs) Absolutely. So it's, it's very difficult to balance. Mm -hmm. And especially in those environments where a lot of people are from party families, knowing what to say is like a a slippery slope. It's hard to balance. It's you're better off. You're better off abstaining from political discussion a lot of the time. Yeah. Which that's always a strange environment to be in. I mean, we can see ourselves moving towards that more in the United States where like even within families, you kind of just... It's just easier to not talk about it, Um, which having that much history Mm -hmm. behind you as well in Taiwan, I can see how that would be an interesting environment to be in. Yeah. Even with, with the, um, the thesis, I, my mom was saying, Oh, print, print six copies. Well, like bring them home, send them off to the people you interviewed. I'm like, I don't know if I want the people I interviewed to like maybe read the extent of what I have Mm -hmm. to say about the party. Because I assume they all still love mm-hmm. the party. And even though I, I do my best to be respectful, which I think is the right mm-hmm. thing to do, there are a lot of generalizations I make about KMT history, which I consider to be historical fact, but a lot of people don't consider to be historical fact. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be better off. I would be better off sending the thesis only to the people from the other party. <laughs> who I've interviewed, who Mm -hmm. will probably cheer for the conclusions I draw. Yeah, that's a difficult decision to make, definitely. I'm curious to kind of like close off the interview. In 30 years, what do you think will go through your mind when you're reading your thesis? Or what do you hope will go through your mind? Wow. Um, I hope I look back on it and I think, like, this is really bad. (laughs) <laughs> if that makes any sense like I, I look back on my old Q110 papers right from freshman year and I think mm-hmm. this is trash like what was I thinking <laughs> I'm so much better a writer now mm-hmm. 
And I hope I think that. I, I hope I'm not looking back at my senior thesis from undergrad and thinking this is the best thing I've ever written. Yeah, wow, really peaked, you know, yes, like absolutely. 21, peak, 22, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that would be bad. I definitely don't want it to be my peak, but mm-hmm. I'm confident it won't be. And for now, it's my passion and I'm rolling with it. And maybe I will go back and look at bits of earlier Taiwanese and Chinese history. Maybe mm-hmm. I will expand it. Maybe I'll just deepen what I've already got. Maybe I'll find something else that I'm interested in. And I think at this point in my life, it's okay to have that open-endedness. Well, thank you so much for coming on our little podcast and sharing about your thesis. This has been like so fascinating and really cool to hear about your personal connections as well as the process that you went through. So yeah, thanks a ton, Seamus. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Seamus, for letting us into this part of your country and family's history. I've been positively enthralled while editing this episode, so please let me know when you get that podcast started. And if you decide you want to hire a producer, you know who to call. I hope you'll join us again to hear more from students and alumni about what it means to burn your draft. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced and engineered by me, Reed College student Albert Corellis. Your lovely host today was Reed student Amelie Andreas. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from Joe Janiga. Our project manager is Nate Martin, staff member in class of 2016. Music by Jack Salvucci, class of 2020, and podcast art by alumni Henry Gotchlik and Lillian Pham. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.